0: For the next couple of weeks, we're really going to hit this value that the church has, and that is living like God owns everything. Imagine every day if you woke up and you live that way, like God owns everything. God determines my priorities, my time, my treasure, my talents. Like he really is where I start everything. Every day live as if God owns everything. So I want you to know in the next couple of weeks what's really important is uh, is something that uh, you can learn in history from over 200 years ago with ketchup. Now, I don't know if you know ketchup's story, uh, but I know you want to. So I want to share with you, uh, when ketchup started out in the United States, uh, uh, there wasn't preservatives. And so they would uh, put it in containers, and then it would get, as you can imagine, rank. And then uh, eventually it would turn, and then it, it would get rotten, and people actually get would get really, really sick. Some people even died from, you know, ketchup disease. So anyway, it was, a, it was a bad deal. Then Heinz came along, and what they did is they figured out how to use preservatives. And uh, they were so proud of what they had done because of the taste and the preservatives. They said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put it in a glass container, in a bottle, so everybody can see that we're exactly who we say we are and that this is a product that is healthy. Matter of fact, uh, this was their first marketing slogan that went on every bottle. Very catchy. The slogan was, Heinz, uh, the ketchup that won't kill you. I think that's not it. I don't know why that didn't last long. And if you remember, Heinz made another, another revolutionary move. Do you remember what it was? They went to the squeeze bottle because people said the bottles are not cute anymore. You know, so you'd, if you remember trying to get the ketchup out of the Heinz bottle. Now, here's what you learn from the story of ketchup. It's how important it is to be transparent. It really is. And I'll tell you, when it comes to finances, which is what we're going to talk about today, it's so important that any church is very transparent about this is where the money is going. This is what's coming in. This is what's going out. These these are the missionaries we support. These are the missions that we support. These are the ministries we support. I mean, you need to know that. And some of you, I guarantee, have probably had some baggage from churches Over the years that you've been a part of, and in the back of your mind, you're like, I'm not sure where the money's going. And that's not where you want to be. A church needs to be transparent. So we're going to be transparent uh, in these weeks to come to let you know exactly where we are uh, with our time and our treasures and our talent and where we're headed. So I just want you to know. Now, as a caveat, every minister who preaches, when they get to money, they get nervous. And what they're nervous about is if visitors are here. And so you always have to start by saying, if you're a visitor... This morning, we want you to know that every Sunday we don't talk about money, okay? (laughs) Most Sundays, yes, but not every (laughs) Sunday. But I do want you to know that uh, it is important. And so we're prayerfully gonna walk through scripture today, and you can already turn over to 2 Corinthians 8, and we're gonna get into what I call the Macedonian way. And uh, what we're gonna do, I love what Roy Bennett said. He said, This attitude is a choice, happiness is a choice. Optimism is a choice, kindness is a choice, and then this is what I love. Whatever choice you make, makes you. Whatever choice you make, it makes you, including your finances. Now, again, as I've mentioned, most ministers that I know, good friends, they don't like to talk about money because it just seems too personal. Now, here's where I'm strange. I absolutely love talking about money, not because I have money, But here's what I know. If you look at a person's planner and if you look at their checkbook, you know what the priorities are. Always has been and always will be. So to not talk about finances, to me, biblically, is wrong. You have to. This morning we're going to talk about three practical questions about giving. So let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and let's start with verses 1 through 5. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up with rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in the keeping of God's will. Now, what's going on here? So Paul's writing to these uh, group of churches in Corneth, And he said, you made a pledge as I'm traveling around. This is his third missionary journey. As I'm traveling around, I'm gathering money. I'm sending that money to the struggling, poverty-stricken churches in Jerusalem. And when I came to you first, you gave first. Here's the problem. You didn't finish what you pledged. So I've got some good news and better news. Here's the good news. There are other churches out there that are battling, and they've been giving generously. And then he says, let me tell you about a group of churches from the Macedonian area and what they did. And the blueprint of their giving needs to be the blueprint for us. So first of all, Paul deals with this very important question. Why is giving So important. Why is it important? When we have uh, someone share every week and then they pass around the plate, why is that even important that we are a part of a church that is giving? Well, I'm big on this. If the Bible says it's important, guess what? It's important. There are 2,000, over 2,000 biblical references to money. 15% of all that Jesus taught dealt with money. 11 out of the 39 parables, the focus was on wealth and possessions. Matter of fact, it's interesting. Uh, I found this article, and it was how money is discussed in Scripture. And boy, listen to all the different ways. The Bible teaches us about budgeting, teaching children about the, the importance of money, contentment, counsel, coveting, crisis, debt. The Bible teaches about generosity and honesty, greed. Inheritance, your lifestyle, even retirement. The Bible's very clear about this needs to be a priority. It needs to be a priority in the church. And not out of guilt, but what an opportunity we have. Why? Because Jesus said it's important. It's important that you know here at Sherwood Oaks, at the, on the back of your bulletin, it gives you weekly updates. So you know exactly where we are and where we should be financially. And I think that's important that you know, again, where is the budget, and we want to be a part of uh, the solution. We all want to be a part of the solution. The next question is, what should we give? People ask me this all the time. What should we give? So let's look at the Macedonian way, starting in verse 6. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love, we have kindled in you, see that you also, I love this phrase, excel in the grace of what? Giving. There's so many ways that we can give. And he said, excel there. Matter of fact, as he's talking to this church in Corinth, he said, here's what I love. In faith and in knowledge, you're growing. I see it. And I I love to tell people about the Corinth Church. And I see you growing as you're bringing people into the church. I see so many ways that you are excelling in. In love, you are excelling. You're earnest. But there's one area that's your spiritual blind spot. You are not a generous church. You are not seeing the needs and financially stepping up and giving. And I love the phrase, are you excelling in the grace of God? Of giving, I want you to think about what generosity has meant in your life. Think about the times that somebody was generous to you and the impact of somebody being generous. We have the privilege to be Jesus Christ in doing that. So let me share with you a, a principle in the Old Testament and then how I think, uh, I think it's misinterpreted sometimes. Any of you that have grown up in church world, I guarantee you've heard this word. And the word is tithe. Raise your hand if you've ever heard the word tithe. Okay, what does tithe mean? Anybody? 10%. Okay, so preachers, they bring that one home. 10%, man, you give it up, give it up, give it up. Okay, and then people are like, oh, my land. Does he know, has he seen my budget? Does he have a clue when he's thrown this tithing thing around? And so we understand that it is a New Testament principle carried beyond just tithing to give generously. But let me share with you what's really important. It's the principle behind tithing. In Exodus 23.19, it's beginning. And in Leviticus 23.10, and it's this phrase, first fruits. I love that. First fruits means simply this. I want to give God my best. It isn't legalistically saying, I'm a great person because I tithe. It's saying, God, I want to give you the best that I've got. The absolute best at all times. Now, how does that apply? Okay. Imagine if you got a good friend. And they call you and they say, hey, I found this new restaurant in Bloomington and you're gonna love it. The price point is perfect. And the name of the restaurant is Leftovers. <laughs> and you're like, Well, what's the uh, what's the what's the deal? Well, they serve you, uh, their motto is we serve you the second best. We give you leftovers. Now, how long would that restaurant be in business? Well, McDonald's has been around a long time. So anyway. <laughs> But in all honesty, would you really enjoy a restaurant that does nothing but serve leftovers? But think about sometimes how we approach God. We have all these things that we're going to do. And then at the end of the list, it's like, oh, yeah, I I probably should go to church. I feel guilty. No, God says everything. Give me your best. Just give me your... Is it because, as Neil said, does God need the money? No. But he needs to know that this is a step of faith in all, always. When you start giving sacrificially and financially, uh, and you're giving and moving towards giving God your best, it will always be a challenge. Also, it means when we talk about first fruit, it's to write that check first. And here's what I mean. When I grew up, um, after my father passed away, we lived on a Social Security check. Some of you are living on a Social Security check. And I know if you're living on that check, you are not making much money. So I grew up in a world of uh, leftovers, a lot of leftovers, uh, uh, jeans that never fit, because mom got them on sale. Not with, matter, matter of fact, how many of you remember when you get jeans that were too long, what you did? You rolled them up. And when you ripped a knee out, what'd you do? You got patches. And when I got home, my mom would say, put on your play clothes. I don't know, that not that weird? And I'm like, why do I put my play clothes? Like, I got holes in my jeans. And she goes, Put the clothes on that, embarrassed neighborhood. But, you know, I mean, I, so I throw on my, the, 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 the oldest thing that I, okay. Um, I remember on Saturday night, it took me a while to figure this out. My mom would always be writing a check. So I said, what are you writing a check to? She goes, well, I'm writing a check to the church. How much are you writing that check for? And she said, it's a tithe. What's a tithe? It's 10%. 10% of what? 10% of everything we have. Whoa. You mean every week 10%? Because really, Mom, when I'm looking around, we don't own much. And I can't get a date. You know, I mean, I mean, really, 10%? And my mom said, no, no, no. The very first check I write is this check. And then for some crazy reason, I can't explain it, God will always take care of us. And John, God will always take care of us. I'm like, I don't know if i buy that. And as I got older and as I matured and went to Bible college... Uh, I sat in a Corinthians class, and the professor uh, said, uh, he was preaching on this, he was teaching about this, and he said, uh, speaking of giving, I want you to look behind me, when we had this faith promise rally deal, and you remember they always used thermometers, I don't, what was the barking, you know, it was always a the thermometer, and we weren't even close, and he said, do you guys even feel bad about the fact that you committed this to the missionaries, and you're not even close to your faith, that's a pr- faith promise, you promised that money, And a couple of us said, okay, can we be honest? I said, can I be honest? I make 80 bucks a week. By the time I put gas and drive down this little church that I'm helping out and eat a couple, like at the end of it, I wish I had money to put to the faith promise and I'll I'll work on it. But man, right now it's hard. And uh, here's what the professor said. Oh, that's because you got it backwards. The very first thing you should have done was your financial commitment to the Lord. And then... He'll take care of the rest. I thought, "Oh, you're just like my mother." You know, here we go again. And I will say, 40 years later, that is held true. I cannot tell you how many times it's hard. My marine, I'll be like, "Oh, this is this month is going to be hard," and we do it anyway. And you don't do it out of guilt. You do it because you see time after time what God can do collectively. All the money starts coming in, and you start looking at ministry opportunities. Matter of fact, let me give you an example. Um, I don't have the exact year, and I should, but Sherwood Oaks was really diligently looking at the, the budget, and they realized we're really not making much of a dent on the building. Matter of fact, we still owe $4 million for everything we're doing. And they made a commitment, and in under four years, they paid off. million plus of debt. They paid it off. People were giving sacrificially. I mean, it honestly is one of the most amazing things. The reason they did that, they said, once we get over that hump, we want to do ministry like we've never done it before. Well, let me share with you the fruit of that decision you're setting here today. There would be no multi-site here. There'd be no multi-site in Bedford. There wouldn't be a Hispanic. You wouldn't have any of that. That happened because a group sat down and did, here's what's hard, evaluate where you're at and to say, what changes do we need to make? Because we've got to get out of debt. And let me tell you, I have a lot of people uh, over the years, they'll say, John, you don't get it. I want to give, but I'm in debt. We're working so hard. And some debt, it's not because you've been careless. There's life that happens. There's the unexpected things that happen. My challenge is just turn over to God and say, God, help me get out of this hole because I want to get to a point I'm giving consistently. I love what Andy Stanley a few years ago, what he challenged his congregation was not to immediately start tithing. He said, start somewhere and set a goal, but set a percentage goal. Your goal may be to get to that 10%, but just say, I'm going to figure out exactly where I am, and then I want to be intentional about what I'm giving, and if it's 1%, then I want to give 2% next year. But I'm going to commit to something. See, the problem is we don't like actually sitting down and looking at our finances. A lot of people don't. Do you know that 60% of all Americans don't even have a will? Why? Because we, don't, we just don't even like looking. It's kind of like this. I, I did this a few years ago. I know none of you have ever done this, but we've only owned one new car in our life. Uh, first year marriage. We bought a Nova. I'm a big spender. And so... Um, uh, drove it, and I remember it loved that car, and at about 100,000 miles, uh, it started, I get, there's just some weird noises, okay, and then every so often, we get a little thing, and then the noises, it's got multiple noises, and so I, I came up with a solution, you know what it was, I just turned the radio up, <laughs> you ever do that, I'm just tired of that, should I get it fixed, <laughs> I'm just gonna turn the radio up, you know, now here's the deal, we do that live too, there's so many voices, and so we just decide, I'm going to ignore this. Well, my challenge is just don't endure it. Just say, God, I'm going to be brutally honest with myself. I'm going to sit down and see where I'm at. And let me say one thing that I love about Sherwood Oaks is, uh, and I'm not exaggerating, they have worked with hundreds of people over the years with Dave Ramsey and budgeting, and they will do whatever it takes to help in this regard. It is a huge responsibility that all of us share. Let me just close with this, and that is how we should give. Go up to verse 9. I love this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, for that through his poverty might become rich. And here's my advice about the best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, But also have the desire to do so. Now finish the work. So that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. According to your means. For the willingness is there. The gift is acceptable according to what one has. Not according to what he does not have. So here's the most interesting thing about this chapter. Paul said... There's these poverty-stricken churches in Jerusalem. And do you know the very first church that I challenged to help them out? You. And you gave. Right out of the gate, you gave. Not only did you give, but you made a pledge to continue giving. But after the first gift, you stopped giving. So I'm here to remind you, finish what you started. You're a great church, but you've got to step up. And I love that. And then what I really love is he said, by the way, in case you forgot why I give and how I should give, you remember how you give is the way Jesus gave. Now, when it says Jesus was rich, he wasn't financially rich. Don't We all know the Christmas story. I mean, Joseph didn't have deep pockets. I mean, he was a carpenter or something. You're not talking about finances. This is the son of God coming from heaven to came to earth to be what? a servant, to do nothing but give, to just give and give and give. And he said, so if it's hard for you to give, go all the way back. And when you say, how should I give? Well, I give like Jesus. So I wasn't going to mention this because I don't want to sound <clears throat> boastful. Uh, but last week, um, so Marie and I have our 35th wedding anniversary. Uh, yeah, you can clap. It's, it's awesome. <clears throat> And actually, actually, that was in September. But anyway, we went on a trip uh, last week, and we went back. Our first trip when we were married, first year of marriage, we we scraped up enough money. We had some friends that had timeshare, and we went with two other couples to Disney uh, Land. And so we went back to Disney World. The prices have changed a little bit. And um, so, and I feel terrible. On I think it was Tuesday night, we we're in shorts and a t-shirt. We were watching uh, a show and. Uh, we tried not to look at our emails too much, and Maria said, "Oh my land, uh, they're going to get four inches of snow back home." And I said, "Man, I feel really bad." And then about a minute later, I'm like, "I really don't feel bad at all." I mean, I, I've got to confess that. But one of the last shows, uh, it was, uh, which is amazing at the what they do with the fireworks and stuff at the at the castle, the, you know, uh, and and at the very end of this thing, uh, it came straight from a movie I remember so much with my kids, The Lion King. You've seen it a few times, maybe. Uh, I love Mufasa. Uh, Mufasa, I love that You know, I love that. And Simba, and I love the advice that Mufasa gave Simba. And that's how they ended this whole presentation. Do you remember what it was? Very simple. Remember who, what, you are. And I'm like, I got teary-eyed. I'm like, I need to remember who I am. Don't you? During the hardest times in life, remember who you are. Now, you are a child of the king. And when you're a child of the king, everything falls in line. Your possessions, it makes sense. Your potential and your talents and your treasures and everything, your time, it all begins to make sense because you remember who you are. Matter of fact, a scripture that I just... When I get down, this is one that I read, and it's Joel 3.16. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem, and the earth and the sky will tremble, but the Lord will be the refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. The Lord will roar from Zion. Remember who you are. Don't ever forget you are a child of the King. Each and every one of you. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org/messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.